0: Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. I'm Ron Crawford, the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and it is a real privilege to welcome you to this time of study of the Word of the Lord, especially on behalf of my congregation in Dallas and the Saints Network. It's, uh, it's a great thing to be able to serve our Heavenly Father, in these rather unique days. I contemplated a number of different uh, messages for tonight. We certainly have a lot of things going on, um, a lot of prayer agenda, and um, uh, it's funny because I, I enunciated a number of those on Sunday morning, and and I said hopefully you can keep track of all those, and I said if you if you uh, need something else to pray about, contact my daughter, Kelly, and she'll let you know. And in just, a, just a few seconds later, one of our precious congregation members, Nathan McGill, texted Kelly and said, hey, what else can we pray about? <laughs> oh, we thought that was funny. That, that's, uh, that's kind of the way we flow around here. But um, uh, I, I know that God is speaking a lot of different things um, a different things to us. They're, they're, it's not, they're not contradictory. There's just a lot of responsibilities and a lot of ways that the spirit is moving right now. And it really is a, a rich moment. Um, I know that the world is in fear. I know that there are a lot of things that are happening in the spirit realm that are, um, that are changing. And, um, you know there there are there are a lot of factors that would want us to be in um, in turmoil or in confusion. But the Bible says that when uh, when sin abounds, uh, it's it's indicative of the fact that grace is much more abounding, and we are we are in a good place of grace right now as we're in this year of wisdom, and so. God is speaking lots of different things to us from His Word. I'm not saying scouring the Internet to hear what everybody and their brother and sister is saying. I'm saying the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to His sons. And uh, His Word is coming alive. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. So, I contemplated a number of things that God would, would, um, uh, has been causing me to study in the past couple of days. And they're all pretty exciting to me because they're revelatory from his word. But the thing that God absolutely, indelibly impressed upon my spirit that needed to be shared tonight, or whenever it is you're listening to this, is uh, a a fresh look at his stemme. And... If you've been part of the saints' network for any length of time, you've undoubtedly uh, understood the the teachings about the uh, fundamental understandings of what histeme is in the Scripture. Well, my purpose tonight, or whenever you're hearing this, is, is not to go back and recount all those initial things. So, I'm just going to touch on a couple of vital things, and then we're going to get into what God's put on my heart to share in this fresh consideration. Histemi is a word that is used throughout the New Testament, and it's used a lot. And basically, it it entails what is in the spirit realm, what is what are deposits that have been placed there by God, which then affect a fueling of what happens in that place spiritually, atmospheres. And we use that word in a medical in a medical term where we speak about histamines and we speak about something that is prevalent in a certain area or a certain location and how it affects our response as humans. And if you are allergic in this season... Um, you, you take an antihistamine so that those influences hopefully are blocked and you aren't all congested and itchy eyes or uh, whatever kind of things uh, are uncomfortable have during this COVID season. Uh, people look at you as if you've got the plague. You should be yelling unclean if you've got a sinus issue. Um, But we understand histemi from a medical understanding, but in the spirit realm and in the Bible, and that's the main thing, it's used all over the place, and it's used in very definitive ways, the most important of which is when we recognize what the cross is in Scripture. And we recognize that uh, the Roman cross... Uh, was formed from two words. One was stau, which is a stake of ownership, and the other is histeme. The Romans welcomed this form of crucifixion or public assassination, public uh, uh, sentence to death, because they wanted people to know, we own this area. We own everything about this area. And you're either going to enter into the Pax Romana or you're going to be dead. And anybody who considers opposing us, all you have to do is look at this stake of ownership here where these other malefactors are are hanging on. And you either get in line or that's going to happen to you. But they use the term um, histeme and a stake of ownership to describe that cross that we all cherish as Christians. And I, without going into the teaching again, this is not what the teaching is about. This is fundamental stuff that all of the saints' network understand. Um, God could have chosen to send his son as a sacrifice at any time, in any epoch of time. But he chose Jesus to be born at the end of that intertestamental period, during the time when the Romans were in control. He chose the form of execution upon the cross to say, from this point on, my son is paying the price for all of the holdings of the histemies of this world, including what exists in us. And if you will embrace that and carry that cross, you will be uh, pleasing the Father. Because if you don't come before the Father and take up your cross and follow the Lord you're not going to be pleasing to the Father. That's what the Scripture says. And we don't carry our cross just as a, uh, as a deterrent to vampires. We don't carry our cross just so we can prove to people how holy we are or that it's a, it's a sign of our identity, kind of like a moniker on the front of a building so you know what's there. We carry the cross to establish that dominion wherever God sends us, and we state to the spirit realm, And to the natural realm, everything that is in this area is bought and paid for by the Son of God who died upon this stake of ownership. So that's really where we are. And we find that the enemy resists our stand and he withstands us. These are all his STEMI terms. And I know this isn't mainstream. You're not going to find this in the the Baptist devotional or even the Pentecostal devotionals. But nevertheless, it's there. And um, the Lord and our Heavenly Father took this very seriously. And uh, the perfect plan of God saw to it that the sacrifice of the precious unblemished lamb slain before the foundation of the world would be offered on that mode of execution. So when we talk about histeme, we're talking about it from the standpoint as born-again believers Who recognize the power of that precious sacrifice, and who don't just look to the cross as an icon from which we are forgiven of our sins, and that is the beginning point. Don't don't anyone think that I'm diminishing that. That is without that, there is nothing. But what I'm saying is that you don't carry your cross just so you show everybody how you're hanging on it. That's ludicrous. There's no need for you to hang on the cross because the perfect sacrifice has been offered. You getting up there is, is, a, is a sign of idiocy or something else. You take that cross for uh, to by the directive of the Heavenly Father. You establish it where he's called you to stand and you declare for all the world to see that you believe that Jesus has paid the price. And everything there, everything in the spirit realm, the demons who believe and tremble will see it and know it. Their only hope is that you don't understand what it really means. It's kind of like the, the tales from the w- Old West when the uh, the railroad, whether it was the Central Pacific or the Union Pacific, were going to establish uh, a road from Omaha to the Pacific. And your only hope is that... Uh, that somebody owning the land along the prescribed route doesn't realize the railroad is coming through, so you can buy them up, and then you can either have a, a great stake to sell to the government or to these, not really the government because both of those railroads were privately funded and owned, um, but you can sell that land for a killing or you're positioned there on the railroad line if you're a store, if you're a supplier, And you've got it made. And you just hope that those ranchers or those pilgrims don't recognize, hey, we're sitting on a gold mine here, and they'll sell out. The enemy hopes you don't understand what is really yours through the sacrifice of Jesus and what the plan of the Father is and how you fit into it. The enemy's hope is that you will be deceived into not knowing that. And uh, you know the truth, what has been hidden, And it sets you free, and it brings freedom. That's what we're talking about today. But we're going to take a fresh look at histeme, and many of the verses that we've talked about in the past from a foundational understanding, God wants us to look at this now, especially in light of where the world is. So you have the handout that's been posted. I thank Scott for getting it up there. We bless him. Um, But... Let's begin to look. And I just put these up here. I've not written this, so I didn't have a stream of consciousness directed by the Spirit to put it together, make it all palatable for you so you can jump up in the air and shout. These are scriptures that you need to digest and begin to utilize where you are. You don't need me to emotionally stoke you. Matthew 2, 9. And when the Magi... Heard the king. They departed, and lo, the star that was that they saw in the east went before them, till it came and histeme, over where the, the young child was. Now let's also look in this nativity story to to Luke one, to when Gabriel was speaking to Zacharias, the the father of John the Baptist. The whole multitude of people were praying without at the time of incense, and there appeared unto Zacharias an angel of the Lord. Gabriel standing or his on the right side of the altar of incense. This is, uh, these two things speak about what needed to be established on behalf of what God was doing. On the first hand, you had um, Zecharias. I should have probably put it first, but he was operating as a priest of the old covenant. He was at the altar of incense, and incense represents the prayers of the saints, according to what David said. And the elements of incense speak about the progression of what an intercessor should do in embracing the burden of the Lord. So for Gabriel to be standing at the right hand of this altar of incense, there's also an altar such this as this in heaven, the Bible says. It's very clearly detailed in the book of Revelation. And for him to be standing at the right hand meant that this was a prophetic beginning of the fulfillment of, of what the saints through the old covenant had been praying for centuries, and so the histeme there was the right that God had to say: Number one, intercession has paved the way for this work to be done, for Jesus to come now. This is the timing of God, but these intercessors have paid the price. So I'm standing here at this, the right hand of this altar, and I'm speaking to a priest who is going to, mirac- uh, through the miracle power of God, he and his old wife uh, are going to have a child that's going to be the friend of the bridegroom, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord Jesus coming. And so that stemme in partnership with the angelic through intercession, Uh, was there by right. And the star or the great light in the sky that God was directing these magi, they represented the world. Those who were sensitive to God and they studied the scriptures, they studied other things too, but there were a lot of people in the Old Testament that God was friends with other than Abram. Melchizedek was one. There are a number of these that are listed, but Melchizedek was one, and he came and he basically p- prophesied. He read Abram's mail. You know, you're know, you a friend of the Most High. You are possessor, the, the one operating in the jealousy of God, of heaven and earth. You know, he said the things that the God wanted him to prophesy. Nobody really knows about him, and forget that business of this being a pre-incarnate Christ. And Abram paying tithe to it, if that's and that's your justification for that, well, you know, on Sundays, you know, people come up and put tithe in the offering. They're not paying it to me. Doesn't mean I'm God, but they're fulfilling that that biblical principle. So the idea that this is a pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, because he paid tithe to him is is because Abram paid tithe to him, and because they shared communion, that's stretching it. That, in fact, that's that's taking the spiritual aspects of prophecy and stepping into the moment, the Kairos moment, and basically squashing them by throwing them into just a fundamental understanding. Church is good at that. Whatever we don't understand, we kind of grind down with pre-existing understandings. And um, but you know the point though is is that these magi were used by God. You know why didn't he, why didn't God find some some prophet in Jerusalem to go and do this? Why didn't God find uh, someone from the scattered tribes who could come and represent Levi or represent Judah? You know wh- why didn't God do that? You ever think about that? God chose these fellows. We don't know exactly what country they came from, I suspect. I don't know this, so i got to put the disclaimer out. They came from the east. They may have come from Ur of the Chaldees. They may have come from where Abram was from. Somebody says that they're from India. Somebody says that they're from any point east. I mean, everybody has their own tradition. But the point is, is that none of these guys were were functioning out of the auspices of Jerusalem and God called them from heaven he sent this light and these guys gave everything and they followed in conjunction with the thesaurus of the timing of God and they came Um, but God owns the heavens and the earth God owns the heavens you know he owned the creation beyond what earth was And it was by his right, legally, to send a star like this and to commune with these people. I think there's a lot of prophetic significance to this. And I think we should look for this today. There are a lot of people around the world who have good heart. They're not functioning in the demonic, but they're open to the things of the Spirit. And they're going to come and they're going to say, let us go with you. God has spoke to us. God has... God has directed us. You know, I was speaking to one of my dear friends, who's a dentist here in town, and he uh, he told me about the way in Iraq, that godless society over there, that there are a lot of Christians who are becoming coming into the faith. A lot of people who are are Christians now came into the faith because Jesus came to them in a vision. And, and taught them the way of salvation, and they, they accepted, just much like Jesus did with, with Saul, who became Paul. Um, and um, this is something that is being talked about, not through the big channels, or those Iraqis would toss them in the slammer, or worse. But, you know, the Lord's got a lot of people that, who, uh, who he's talking to now, who are being made hungry, especially in these days. And God's going to give signs in the heavens, and we better understand from Scripture how to explain these things from Scripture to these people when the hungry ones come to us. But these were histemi things. So you had the histemi of the Old Testament intercession, which is why Gabriel was standing by the right hand of God, Speak by the right hand of, well, he is the right hand of God, but by the right hand of the, of the altar of incense and speaking to an Old Testament Levite. Um, and then you have the signs that were independent of that that were attracting those that were hungry for God, students of the things that were prophesied, and those two histemes set the stage for the coming of Jesus. I think that's wonderful. So you have the world, and you have the Old Testament priests and intercessors welcoming the one who would give his life on the stake of ownership of all his That's an incredible thing. and I mean, my spirit is exuberant in receiving that because um, I think we are operating now as intercessors in the heavenly Jerusalem. Hebrews tells us that before you dismay it. We are not come to an earthly Zion, but we are going to the the city in the heavens and all those things. Those are active now, not in the sweet by and by necessarily, even though it'll still be there, but now. And so we're functioning there and we're functioning on behalf of the the world and those that Jesus gave his life for who were hungry for him. Now, let's look at a next scripture the right of positioning. And this is the, the enemy's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And the Spirit of God drove Jesus to this. And, and I think I think it's interesting that the Spirit drove him, balo. This is just an etymological study. Don't ask me my footnotes. You just study it yourself. You'll figure it out. Um... Jesus was balo. He was thrown into the wilderness by the Spirit, driven balo. And the enemy is diabalo, which is one who throws about lots of different accusations and confusions and his own beliefs. But balo is there. It's, it's, the same, it's the same thing. We Balo is used through the Latin phrases in symbols, symbolo. You have two things being thrown together uh, as a ball thrown together to make a noise these these words are are everywhere in our language, but the enemy throws things about. he throws hoping to confuse you, helping to intimidate you, and to this one, Jesus by the spirit was thrown into the wilderness. <laughs> I think that's that's just a great thing. you know, think about it for yourself, but I think it's great. So there are three factors in this temptation. The first is commune with God. The second, which we're going to look at in Matthew 4, is the Hesteme from the temple. And the third is proskuneo, and the glory of God in the nations and the kingdoms of this earth. So let's look at this. Let's read Matthew 4, 4 and 5. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and histamied him on a pinnacle of the temple. Now, of the temple. I believe this was Jerusalem. How could the enemy have an histamie in the temple? Well, study a little bit about what happened there. I mean, you had many different kings, uh, Solomon began it, sadly, who, er- who erected idols there in the temple, idols to demons on the temple grounds, idols to demons of Ahaz and others, the Valley of Hinnom to the south of Jerusalem where children were sacrificed to the demonic Moloch or Baal, two different entities. <clears throat> and... um you know, pretty much the efficacy of the temple was lost as what God intended it to be. So the enemy felt he had at least an equal share of a stemme there in the temple. And Jesus didn't protest it. He allowed the enemy to his stemme on a pinnacle, a high place of the temple. Now, what's the significance of the temple? From the temple, tabernacles were supposed to have been sent forth. Again, this is a study we've done a long time ago, but it's very, very much been done by the saints. David prayed over and over again for the um, 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 for the temple to be constructed. He was a tabernacle individual, and when Solomon established the temple. Um, then he took the same template of prayer from his father and began to pray from this temple, Let tabernacles go forth. And the tabernacles were supposed to be um, establishing the kingdom of God in the places that God was going to direct the people to go. And um, I know that um, I know that the enemy recognized this. So if you've gotten a stemI, think about this. God is sending his sons to go forth uh, on behalf of the temple in heaven, but by the directive of the throne of God, bearing the cross. And um, you have have the the power of that uh, being manifested to you and hopefully through you now. But histemi is in that. And then when you go forth on that behalf with the cross from the directive of the temple, then you can proskuneo on behalf of the, the histemi holdings, the glory of God deposited from the foundation of the earth, um, and you are, you are calling upon the Lord to, um, to let his glory be known. It's the fulfillment of what your calling is. So, that is an that's an incredible thing. But the enemy functioned in the presence of Jesus with an astemi authority on behalf of that temple, and um, for us today, we're functioning on behalf of the temple in heaven, and we are we are being sent forth by our Father, but through that power, then we. Uh, and authority, we lay on our face before God and welcome him and his kingdom to come and his will be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven. So when you pray, know that the enemy is watching to see whether you really believe in the power of the cross and the istemi, because he recognizes that you, believing for the kingdom of come in your terio. Wherever God's planted you, you believing that and applying the cross is and proscuneoing is what's going to welcome the glory of God. So, praise God. This is an incredible thing. Let's look at authority and function in positioning. Matthew 12, 24. When the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of of the devils. And uh, Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself, a double issuance of histemi. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself, how histemi then his kingdom histemes. Jesus is talking here and he uses and you remember that kingdom is from Basileia, which is to stand or to walk. It's where the foot rests. And so um, the whole conversation here was about Jesus taking authority over the enemy and demons and the kingdom. Uh, people just um, often talk about casting out devils. That's that's uh, That's the flashy. That's the bling, you know. But what did Jesus bring it back to? Four times he uses the word hasteme in the kingdom. It's not about how many demons you pluck out. If you've not established those people to stand, it's going to be seven times worse for them. It's not you being able to speak a word and see demons fly out of a room. It's whether at the end of that, the hasteme has been established. And you should see this here in the word and, and really understand it. Um. It's not how many home runs you hit. It's whether you win the game. It's not how your stats are. It's whether you win this championship. And we understand that in so many ways in life. But when it comes to the things of the Spirit, we just want the flash and the pomp. But the objective is the kingdom. And that kingdom is established by uh, really affirming the histeme. So, this is the Lord. Now, in Luke 24... The risen Christ met to the walk, the men walking on the road to Emmaus. And as soon as they recognized who he was, he was gone from them. They skedaddled back to Jerusalem. And as soon as they get there and they're telling G- the, the, the disciples about Jesus being risen, and as they spoke, Jesus himself histamined in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Now this means a lot of different things. And I don't want to drown ourselves in extrapolations from this. But the one who gave himself on the cross that bought the histeme now shows up. Uh, he just is there. Um, and it, it describes him standing there as, as the histeme. I think that's amazing. They were all shocked but he demonstrates the fact that he has triumphed in this Hestemi purchase, he has gained power over heaven and earth he's gained power over death, hell and the grave and here he is the first thing that is done is that he's standing in the in Hestemi in the midst of them this is great I, I just love that agreement and authorization we got a lot of verses here Um, we got to keep moving. Matthew 18, verses 15 and 16. Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between him and you, you and him alone. And if he shall hear you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more that in the mouth of... Two or three witnesses, Martus, and people who are serious, people who have given themselves on behalf of the work of the Lord, not just gainsayers. You know, when people have accusations against leadership, um, they'll try to find anybody who's got their nose bent out of joint, who are not standing anymore as a martyr, as a martyr, and they'll try to bring those accusations they'll try to spread it as a tail bearer. and you know that's a pretty good litmus whether you should believe somebody or not you know if you're if you're confronted uh, on behalf of the efficacy of your leader you should really take into consideration is the person who's telling me this really committed not just in word but in deed Or are they looking to break out of this, Martis, and to take as many with them as they can? If you're a little bit wise, you'll recognize the difference between these two. If the motive of a person is to discredit the leader, discredit the leader, then uh, you're in big trouble right then anyway. You should rebuke them and send them on their way in love. Um, This whole thing is about a trespass and a fault. And if they really want to rectify, they're going to say to the leader, hey, look, you know, I just want to make sure I'm understanding this. And you better not make this a weekly occurrence, because then you're just a rabble rouser, somebody who, who gets offended easily. You shouldn't be bothering the leader with that kind of stuff. God doesn't like that very much, and I'm telling you that's for sure. But if you if He won't hear you or cannot understand you, you go find individuals who are um, who are committed, who are devoted to the work, not just to the Lord, but to the work. That's what a martyr is. That's the spirit of prophecy. You're committed to what God has given, and you go to that one that in the mouth of those ones, that Rama encounter can be histeme, so that histemi can be brought back into harmony for you and for everybody else. Now you say, well, I don't see this as the leader. Well, other, uh, other places in the New Testament where it talks about taking two or three, it says if you confront a leader, don't do it unless you, unless you have two or three witnesses. And, and Jesus lays it down, whether it's a personal exchange or further on then as a leader, you better find people who are committed to the work. And you better make sure it's a rhema moment, not just you being out of joint. And you better, you better do it on behalf of the histeme. Those are three big things. And I think back over the history of the past 20 plus years here, or on behalf of a number of you, I would dare say that if you had strife or challenges that came against your work for the Lord as a leader, uh, I would say that those challenges came because it wasn't a rhema moment, because the people were not committed to what God was doing. They were just trying to discredit you so that they could look good about not doing the work. Or maybe they wanted to be the one in charge, so they were just trying to Assassinate you and your character, so that they could feel good about themselves and gather a following. That's just what Satan did, and so um, this Rama word for the histemi to be done and and put into right harmony. Hopefully, you know you you bypass that stage, and just you know here's the deal: if you have a, a trespass in your in your mind, you're offended about something. Instead of running to the person you think did you wrong, maybe you ought to take care of it in yourself first. You know? And then if you say, okay, I've taken care of myself first, but this is still hindering my work, the work. Not just irritating me, but the work. So I'm going to go to my brother and try to make this right. Sometimes people say, oh, I don't want to go to them because, you know... Uh, I love them, and I don't want to cause a scene, so I'm just going to separate myself. I'm just going to move off. That's bogus too. That's kind of like saying, you know, it's like the kid who's playing on a team, and he doesn't like where the coach has positioned him or how many at bats he's getting. So say, I just don't want to cause trouble in the team. I guess I'll just take my ball and bat and go home. Well, you've just robbed the team of a player. The best thing you could do is to show up, work hard, and the Bible says a man's gifts will make place for him. And just make sure it's God, God's gift and God himself that's making a place and not you because you've got pride and you just don't like the position you're in. Now, again, that's satanic. That's that's the recipe for lucifer falling. So you got to be careful. And maybe in the days to come when some of these magi come from the east, and they begin to come to the Lord. What is that to thee? You just keep serving God. Are you serving God or are you serving for the, um, for the, the acclaim that you and your power base have come to cherish? God help us. God help me. I mean, I, I have to process this for myself. You know, I hear that Rick Pino song and I really like it, Pioneer. You know, I hear a lot of songs up there, but a lot of them are, are really nice, but they don't really speak to what the saints are doing. Oh, yeah, they speak to general things in the in the general church, and they're great. It's biscuits and gravy. We love that. But we want strong meat. They're nice desserts, but we want strong meat. Oh, I like the desserts. I like the bread and gravy, but we want strong meat. And I hear him sing about Pioneer and... Um, I know we've pioneered a lot of ways, and I see people coming along now, and they're doing it bigger, brighter, faster. They're even talking to some degree about the saints and prophetic worship and, and all kinds of other things that when, when we all started doing it before the Lord was, you're odd, you're weird. And we received it from those who were powdery, particularly Morningstar. We're grateful for them. We bless them. Prophetic ministry, we received training from CI. We're grateful for that. But we've got to be willing to just keep serving the Lord when we see other, you know, if you're a remnant and you are the few and you're the oligos, you need to own that. When recognized by that very definition, it's not going to mushroom into a corporation. So I, I deal with these things too, but... If I'm dealing with them, I, I, I expect the people in my church and I would hope that our brothers and sisters throughout the network are, are not prideful and who will, the only thing you judge is whether people are really following the word and whether they're staying on course for what we're assigned to do. And that's the only thing that the STEMI is going to require. And that's what Jesus is really talking about here. If you go to somebody, you think, you know what? That used to be my position. I don't like it at all that you're up here doing it. You should rejoice as somebody else is doing it so that you could move on to the next thing. You're supposed to be line upon lining. How can we be prophetic if we hold on to things tooth and nail so that nobody else gets to do it? You do that long enough, your, your hand's going to get tight and your knuckles are going to get white and you're not going to go anywhere else. How are you going to climb the hand the mountain with your hands wide open? Thank you, Will Reagan. If you're holding on to your your last assignment of notoriety. Well, I've gotten off to preaching here lately, haven't I? Whew. Let's look at what Zacchaeus says. He was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Climbed up in the sycamore tree his master for to see you sing that when you were a little kid? Maybe we'll have the little saints sing that sometime soon. Luke 19, 8. Zacchaeus his and said unto the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. What does this mean? This isn't braggadocia. This was a response to what Jesus had been teaching him. So he stood in his esteme and he declared from that power base, I am going to make things right because I want to be right with you. Amazing. That's, that's great. Now let's, let's move it along. Let's move it along. We're, we're going to get into end time warfare here, which should wake some of you up. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 6, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, Which went out early in the morning to hire laborers from his vineyard. There was a guy back when I was an associate pastor here. The former pastor used to call people up to pray at the, you know, before, uh, in the middle of the Sunday morning service. And there was one guy who was kind of like an itinerant evangelist. And he'd show up every now and again, and the pastor would call him up to pray. And the way he'd begin his prayer, he'd say, early in the morning, you spoke to me. He'd say that. So my youth group, I don't know where they got such a pattern as this. When this guy would go up, I'd be sitting with my kids. And a couple of them would, would, before he even got to the mic, they'd say, early in the morning, quietly, of course. And that guy would get up and say it, and all my kids would snicker. I thought that was funny. Anyway, early in the morning. He goes out to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into the vineyard. He went out about the third hour and saw others his standing, his idle, in the marketplace, said to them, Go you also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. They went their way. And he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others Histemi, idle. Their, their histemi was idle. Uh, and said to them, why histemi? you hear all the day idle? What does idle mean? Idle is from the Greek argos. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of mythological implications here. Now, again, like we said about thesaurus, Jesus used this term. He knew very well there you will, what the, um, uh, what the Greek mindset was regarding this word. This was supposedly a son of Zeus who had eyes all around that could see and discern what to do, when to do it, when not to do it. In fact, uh, Jason and the Argonauts, they, they went forth on the Argo and they, uh, they were basically inactive They weren't working, but they were traveling, following the direction of the demonic beings to find mythological places so that they could be active. But the essence was, you've got capabilities, you're searching for the right time, for the right direction to do what needs to be done. So you're either not doing it or you're searching. So Jesus uses this term in conjunction with people that need to be working in the vineyard and those who are um, uh, who are right then not functioning in the histemi to which they're called. Do you see this? Who's the author of this? Jesus is. I'm pretty sure it's in red in your Bible. Now, if you've discredited all this, then go watch reruns of Bonanza while I'm teaching on this. So, what are we looking at today? We're in the we're in the the harvest. And there are a lot of things that are happening right now. We talked about the Magi. There are those that are going to be coming to take hold of the hem of the garment and say, let us follow you. Let us embrace your calling and your identity. Let us serve God because we know that God is with you. There are a lot of those kinds of things. The Bible speaks about those of the synagogue of Satan who are going to come and say, the and say, we know God is in you of a truth. We We've been serving the wrong thing. We want to serve God. There are a lot of these kinds of things. And I don't know about these different phases. We could look at the hours of the day, the third, sixth, ninth. These are prayer hours. That's probably the significance of them, that these people are praying, that they need to be praying. They're idle in their they They've been called. The Spirit of the Lord is wanting to direct them, the one with the true eyes of the Spirit, and they need to get in line and get in motion. But the end of the story is those that worked all day long are saying, What's this? We're getting a penny just like these yahoos that came into the third, sixth, and the ninth hour. We we should be paid more. Well, there is no pay more. You're only working to serve God. You're only working for His pleasure. And you should be rejoicing that the job is being done. Our reward is to serve God. And that's what He's looking at. Faithful and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. So... We need to keep that in perspective, because if we're not careful, we're the one that is going to be bent out of shape at a time when we don't—we really don't ever need to be. But we don't want to be that way in the end time, because the enemy is going to take advantage of that. See, You know, if we've learned anything from these past days, whatever these new uh, machinations of the enemy is, these new strategies, these new influences that he's brought to bear in the end times they're searching as a roaring lion for places in you that you are letting yourself be vulnerable in, your iniquities. And um, so we don't need to let this be one of them. We don't need to let any of them be part of it, but we don't need to let this one be one. So um, that's just interesting. You can study this further. That is a. That's a filet mignon right there. That passage, and um, I I love that. Uh, Acts one, verse twenty three. The disciples needed to hire um, new uh, new folks to um, to serve in Judas's place, so. In Acts 1, verses 23, they histemate from their hisstemming, they brought Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And we have a very dear friend, Matthias, he and Laurence, we say hello to them if they're listening tonight all the way over in in, uh, the southwest corner of France, down where all the surfing goes. I don't know if the beaches are closed down there or not, but Matthias and Laurence are precious people. Now, but from the histemi they choose and they cast lots. Um, I I wonder whether Matthias was chosen. This is a joke. Don't think I'm saying this seriously because this other guy had too many names. They'd never be able to, it would take too long to print it on the disciples' membership card. Joseph Barsavis, who was also called Justice. Hey, you know, it's going to be easier. I'm the, I'm the one that has to write this. Let's just get Matthias over here. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Uh, But they operated in their privilege to appoint the twelfth from an esteme. The kingdom with power, Mark 9, verses 1 and 2. He said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that esteme here, which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom, the basilea of God come with dunamis, and after six days Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. They left the sailboat down at the bottom of the mountain, and leads them up into an high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. There be some of them that are moving in the histeme, in the kingdom. Now, this can be a number of different things, and all many of them are absolutely true. Now, personally, I think that Jesus was saying about what was coming with this transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appearing, Jesus glowing, being transformed, Peter, James, and John being up there. Those were his three go-to guys. Now, he used all of them, but Peter, James, and John seemed to be the sons of thunder and Peter. They seemed to be the ones that were the upper echelon of how Jesus moved, and um, they were histemiing to whatever degree Jesus was allowing them to share with him, and I think they got a sign, they got a showing of the dunamis of God in a way that none of the others saw. And I again I said this is also you can you can apply this in a number of different ways. The disciples were able to see Jesus crucified, Him rise from the dead, His ascension. They also saw Pentecost, the outpouring of the promise of the Father with unknown tongues and tongues of fire. They saw the spread of the the birth of the church, the spread of the church. They saw all those things, but the first ones to see it after this statement were Peter, James, and John. Oh, how do we know that the other nine didn't see it? Well they were at the bottom of the hill being buffaloed by an unclean spirit in the in the in the body of a little boy. Now I'm not faulting them, but I don't think at that point they were seeing the glory of God. Do you? I don't think so. These three guys that went up did. But again, it was a it was an immediate word, but it was also a progressive word. We're 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 gonna see this We've already been seeing it, but we're going to see it over and over again in the days to come. And it's a it's a product of standing in the in the, th- in the histeme times of the end, Mark thirteen verse fourteen, when you shall see this is oh boy this quotes from Daniel hold on hold on to your your seat belts, when you see the abomination of des- desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not. Let him that readeth understand. Let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, what does this mean? This is this is a lot. It goes on to talk about a lot of apocalyptic things. But the abomination of desolation. Desolation means detestable, uh, a desolation with depopulation. Now, what that means, I don't know. You can look today and see. Um, You can see cities, Times Square, you can see the Champs-Élysées, you can see places that are normally bustling with people depopulated. We never thought we'd see that, except for photoshopping. But I don't know what this is gonna mean and I don't pretend to know. I don't have a chart that I'm trying to sell. But Daniel spoke of this. And again, Daniel talked about the end times. Daniel talked about the saints on a number of occasions. Daniel talked about the strategies of the enemy, so part of this is going to is to apply to um, it standing where it ought not. And um, let him that readeth understand what does that mean. What are they supposed to be reading? Jesus is talking there; he's not writing in the the Jerusalem Journal uh, on the internet for ninety nine cents a month. I mean, what does that mean? Well, I've written it there for you. To recall or to know once again in your mind. We've got to sow the things that we've learned, the study of the scripture, so that it can be recalled. God's spirit, when things begin to happen, uh, parts of those scriptures, you're not going to understand until you see them. And then it's going to become illuminated. Now, if, you, if you're if you just short-term memorying, if you're not studying, if you're not really paying attention, I don't know what you're going to recall. Maybe the Spirit will do you a favor and bring something to mind. But, again, the point is, is that you need to be active in your histeme. And part of that is you need to be studying to show yourself a proof of workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And... You know, where is this enemy force going to be where it ought not to be? Well, most people think it's Jerusalem, but I think it's places in the heavens as well. I think it's places where we're establishing the kingdom in 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 function and in power. I think we are um, we are we're seeing the presence of God do extraordinary things right now and that's opening new doorsteps and I wouldn't be surprised if the enemy in days to come does not bring some kind of in the natural um, depopulation so that he and his minions can stand in open places open portals up open touch points and try to utilize them for his nefarious devices i mean you can look at this in a number of ways but when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet standing i didn't bolden it but functioning in an estemy where it does not have the right to do it or or where it did not where it did not gain you know the enemy remember what we looked at a little earlier took jesus to a pinnacle of the temple and he probably thought, the enemy did, that he had a right to, to be there because of all those kings, the anointed kings, who had offered sacrifice and devoted themselves to those demons. He probably thought he had a right. But when, in the days to come, you see um, a, a depopulation or a scattering and the enemy try to move into holy places where they've not paid the price for his function. Um, God's going to let you know what to do. He's He's going to let you be remembering those things that he's shown you in his word. And, and that's for the purpose of you praying. And that's for the purpose of you taking authority. Just tuck that one away. But, you know, I've heard this taught nine ways from Sunday with all kinds of prophetic teaching and um, scripts and maps and, identifyings of who the Antichrist is. And I'm telling you that a lot of the ways that people have interpreted this have nothing to do with what the Scripture actually says. I'm not discounting all of it. But whatever fits their paradigm, they squeeze it in nicely. And people think, oh, this is the Scripture. Why aren't you preaching it? Are you worthy? Luke 21, verse 36. Watch you, therefore, and pray always, that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. This is where we are right now and you better recognize the power of this verse because it's going to keep you from a peck of trouble and it's going to allow you to serve God. Watch therefore in DMI. We've talked about this. Agrippneo means to be awake in the night. This is happening. And you're praying in a supplication type of partnership with the Lord. And that you may be accounted worthy. Kataxio, which means you are axios. You are bearing the weightiness that God has asked you to carry. Let me say this way. You are functioning in the way God expects you to function. So you are you are doing what's needed for that assignment to be carried forth. How's that? So you're doing that. You're praying in partnership prayer, and you're available at all times of the night and all times of the day as God directs. And what's it going to be? You're going to be able to escape things that come to pass. God's going to protect you. God's going to watch over you because you are histamining before the Son of Man. This is great. we're, We're there right now. We're learning this right now. We're applying this right now. So keep on doing it. Partner in prayer. Stand in the histemi where the Lord has planted you with the assignment he's given you. You be willing to pray whenever God equips you. And don't bellyache. And don't say, oh God, please, you know, I've been up all night. Let me rest. And don't think, oh, this is just time for me to cuddle with the Lord. God loves you. But he's waking you up for a reason, not because the moon is romantic, but because you need to be established. You know, there are things going on all over the world. Just because we're sleeping now, Luke Benishon's getting into all kinds of challenges, all kinds of victories. God may be saying, hey, brother and sister, stand with me and pray with Luke and Sylvie. What about Ratna Kumar? What about all these other places? We need to be standing on behalf of the Lord. and. Sometimes God just wants to deliberate deliberate with you. He needs you to be in a point of agreement. There are things happening in the realm. Sometimes there are pronouncements being made to the enemy camp that are in God's timing. And it doesn't matter whether you're sleeping or not. God never sleeps or slumbers. And he requires you to be a partner in prayer, to be active at any time, to stand in your esteem with Jesus and bear the burden that you've been assigned God will protect you. That's pretty good. Wow, we've got a couple more verses. Um, I uh, I am going to keep going. I'm going to burk you. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 14. Finally, my brethren, be strong. That's the dunamis in the Lord, Curios in the kratos of Isiscus. These are, these are the power words. You are assigned to where God has called you to, to stand and he's given you authority. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to esteme against the wiles of the enemy. You're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of the darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to anthesteme to stand against the enemy as he attacks in your esteme. In the evil, Poneros' day, this is an, an, in, an ingrained atmosphere of darkness. And having done all to histemi, histemi, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, those things that God continues to reveal, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and on it goes. But you can see how important histemi is in spiritual warfare. And we've taught about all these other things, the enemy influences. I'm not going there now. You should know these, or you can easily find them to study. The foundation and seal, almost done. 2 Timothy 2, 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God has sure. It histemes, and sure is stereos, which is a derivative of stemme, which means that it has multifaceted application. God is functioning in his stemme in a number of ways. The seal of the signet is this. The Lord knows them that are his. Let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God knows you. He's giving you an assignment. He wants to function with you in the esteme. Depart from iniquity. Don't let your foibles and personal challenges and immaturities despoil what God has called you to do. We talked about that earlier. Final thing. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I hasteme at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in with him and sup with him and he with me. Now, what's this mean? This is the famous salvation message. I'm not discounting its application here. But Jesus is speaking to the seven churches. Hopefully all of them were born again. He says he's a stemming at the door. There's an opportunity for the function of God in this moment. He's knocking to see if any man will hear and open to him. Jesus is coming. We'll sup. This is commune. This is fellowship. It's also hopefully the purging of iniquity. These are all real factors for us today. So let's apply them. Heavenly Father, I bless these saints. As we study and look over these words again, let us be faithful to you. And let us be the ones that you can count on in these days to serve you. Not for pridefulness and our part, but for a love of you and for your kingdom. And for this, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for tuning in. We'll watch for Facebook the next few days in the morning. And uh, we'll see you again on Sunday on live stream from the message from the Father's Church. God bless. Goodbye.